Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Life is Short ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. I'm not proud of this, and I'm sure many of you can relate, but I've been spending a lot more time during this quarantine on uh, my phone, on social media. And I've been reading a lot of the comments. It's very nice, some of the things people say. But occasionally, obviously, there are, um, you know, you run across a troll or two. A couple days ago, maybe a couple weeks ago now, I ran into one where a guy just said, uh, you dildo? He called me a dildo. I was like, you know, it was sort of funny, actually. uh, And it didn't hurt my feelings. And then I saw another person say that, you dildo, called me a dildo. And they said big, and then they followed it up with something nice, big fan. And I realized that they were referencing uh, this show I do called F is for Family. I play a teenager. We've talked a little bit about it on the show. My character often uses that as a put down, as a pejorative. Well, have you considered the possibility that someone might be a fan of F is for Family and thinks you're a dildo? Oh, oh no, I hadn't. Well, thanks. Yeah, sure. Anytime. Life could be a dream. Life could be a dream. You're listening to Life is Short. I'm your dildo-y host, Justin Long. Life could be a dream, sweetheart. With me, as always, is my brother. Uh, Not a dildo. Thank you. Some people might think you're a dildo. I'm sure some people do. It is kind of a good. It's uh, a funny insult. It is a funny insult to call someone. It's a man kind of a dildo. like it's kind of unclear <laughs> what it means when you call someone a dildo. Well, it's like calling a. I like. It's also a funny insult to call a guy a penis. That's more clear though. Yeah, I think. Uh huh. You know what I mean? Like when I when someone like calls, Bill O'Reilly, I think he's a penis. Well, when someone calls a guy a penis, <laughs> it in my head at least it refers. Head. <laughs> it refers um, to a pretty specific type of person, right? Uh, like yeah. someone who's kind of anal retentive yep, yep, and yep. like school uppity, marmish, yeah. uppity. Yeah. Yes, Whereas calling someone true. a dildo, I feel like that insult is a little foggy. That's to me. true. It's more of like it could be like a tool or a yes, yeah. yeah. Dildo and tool are interchangeable. <laughs> I'd say. <laughs> what do you mean I'm a dildo? Like, uh, like I'm a tool? Um, yeah. So you're, uh, why are you talking about your hit Netflix show? (laughs) F for Family. By the way, I'm in a couple Netflix shows that are the opposite of hits. What do you call it? An opposite of a hit? Uh, Bombs. Yeah. Uh, Jerry Haji. Jerry Haji. Yeah. Yeah. It needs it. It needs an ad. Jerry Haji is this, I really love it. I'm proud to be in it. Um, It's this BBC Netflix show. It's on Netflix, so check it out. But also a show called F for Family that uh, Bill Burr, created with Vince Vaughn and Peter Billingsley, a couple uh, old pals. Very funny show, I think. And um, why are we talking about this? You're right. Guess what else is on Netflix? (laughs) What's that? Tiger King. I'm not familiar. Oh, really? It's a show? It's a Oh, let me guess. Let me guess. It's about uh, the leader of a pack of tigers who is like the king, in a sense, of the tigers. Uh, or it's a remake of King Arthur, the King Arthur legend done by puppets of tigers, tiger puppets. Well, you were a little closer on the first guess. Oh, okay. <laughs> you were actually kind of right on the first guess. It is, right? Yeah. So for those who have not seen not much of a joke. The Tiger King on Netflix, for like the 12 of you who haven't. <laughs> uh, Eight it, of whom are Taliban members. It is a show <laughs> about um, 
a f- the feud between a man named Joe Exotic and a woman named Carol Baskin. And um, very generally, that's what it's about. It's about. She's now the most famous Baskin. It used to be Baskin Robbins. Todd Baskin from Baskin Robbins. <laughs> yeah. Um, fact check. Yeah, sure. What his real name is? I wonder. Baskin. Uh, isn't it Baskin Robbins? Isn't it Robbins' his last name? Oh, I thought it was two different people. Maybe, maybe. I thought like it was ben and like Jerry's? Jeffrey Baskin and Billy uh, Robbins. Oh, you know, I just noticed that. I, re- I was reminded that of uh, Hanna-Barbera yesterday because we, Christian and I were watching. Oh, this is a good quarantine hack. I hate that term, life hack. But <laughs> did you, that just give you douche chills? No. Oh, you were moving your head. I was cracking my neck. Oh. Uh, we watched these old um, D- Disney on Disney Plus now. Not an ad, but hey, I also have a show on Disney Plus. Go shop, guys. <laughs> um, but they have put their shorts on Disney Plus. Old, like, shorts from the 40s, 50s. Classics. Classics, yeah. There's one um, called Beezy Bear. So funny. With a character called um, Ranger Brownstone. What's your impression of him? Yes, right, bears. Come on, bears. Put it in the bag. Take it out the bag. Bang, bang. Back to the show. <laughs> Um, <laughs> do you just know I wanted to do the impression? Yeah. I actually didn't. I wasn't setting myself oh, up. Oh, really? No. Well, What's your I imp- don't know you very well. It's, but the voice, great voice actor named Bill Thompson. What's your impression of, of, of uh, Ranger Brownstone? Put it in the bag. Take it out again. It's yeah. a way to go. Oh, it's not a fun. He, that character is a little bit like a, he, you could call him a tool or, or a penis. A dildo. Uh, you call, I guess call he's him a little bit of a dildo. He, no, no, not a dildo. I'm sorry. He's a penis because he's very school marmy. He's very anal. Yes, he is, he is. He's always chiding. But he's he's, he's very round. Yeah. And I tend to think of penises <laughs> when you describe a person as well, a you're, penis. You're thinking of a chode. Kind of slender and um, school marmy. In yeah, that way. yeah. That would be most more of penises a... I know. Most like per- <laughs> people penises I know. The people just tuned in right now. <laughs> Most penises I know. They tend to be um, like string beans who are very vicious. <laughs> yeah, that's true. He's shaped more like a chode, this yes. character. So back to the Tiger King. That's um, right. Before the Tiger King phenomenon on Netflix. Phenomenon. The, um, that the nation is captivated by. Before that, we had... Yeah, it's like, uh, it's like the national... If there was a national water cooler. Yes. Before that, we had a podcast on Wondery, not an ad. Mm-hmm called it was originally called over my dead body yes and now it's been renamed to the tiger king joe exotic um it was a podcast hosted and reported on by a man named robert moore who is our guest today Mm -hmm. uh much like and i and now they're making a series uh which most of you probably know that kate mckinnon is going to play carol baskin there's make they're making a series of from that podcast people i think maybe think it's from the Netflix series, but it's not. It's actually based on the podcast that, as you said, our guest Robert Moore is responsible for. So we're going to talk to Robert um, about not just Tiger King related things, uh, but about what he does for a living, which is so fascinating. He's a jur- He's been a writer and journalist from, for uh, many years and, and a very talented one, as you'll, as if you've heard the podcast, you already know this. So here coming up is my chat with the Tiger King originator Robert Moore Life could be a dream sweetheart Dell TechFest starts now to thank you for 40 unforgettable years Dell Technology is celebrating with anniversary savings on their most popular tech For a limited time only save on select next-gen PCs like the XPS 13 Plus where you can make the everyday easier with Windows 11 
Plus, curate your dream setup with great deals on select monitors, mice, and more must-have electronics and accessories. When you shop online at dell.com deals, you'll have access to leading-edge technology and free shipping on everything. Again, that's dell.com deals. Hello, hello again, shaboom, and up we'll meet again. Joe Exotic is maybe the zaniest character that I've encountered. How did you find him? How did you first become aware of him? Back in 2015, I was, you know, I just finished my first book and I was casting about for magazine articles to write. I ran across a story in the LA Times that said Michael Jackson's alligators burned alive in Animal Park fire. <laughs> and you're like, like, I'm listening. <laughs> Whoa, yeah. And so that's just such an odd. Uh, headline. So I click on yeah. it and then it talks about this guy named Joe Exotic. And and again, and didn't call him Joe Schreibel. It called him Joe Exotic. And then uh-huh. I thought, what, what kind of name is that? So I Googled Joe Exotic. And then like everyone does, I just fell down the rabbit hole of, of yeah. Joe Exotic. And back then there was no, you know, there really wasn't a lot of reporting on his feud with Carol. It was just mm. about, there were a couple of newspaper stories about this quirky guy in Oklahoma. So I, I just thought, I'll pitch it to this magazine as like a profile of an odd character living, mm-hmm. you know, they're breeding these ligers and tie ligers and lie ligers, all these weird mutant cats. See, I always thought ligers, I thought it was a myth. Right, from Napoleon Dynamite. Yes. I know, it's a real thing. And not only that, uh-huh. then people assume if it is a real thing, well, they're probably sterile. You know, it's like a mule or something. But wow. they're not. You can you can breed a, tiger, a, a, a liger with a tiger oh or a lion. God. And you can come up with a tie liger or a lie liger. And and Joe was one of the first people, by his own estimate, was the first person ever to breed a tie liger. And then he would sell them. He sold a pair of them to the uh, to the crown prince of Dubai for like, I think it was like, I can't remember now, but something like $30,000. You know, oh and so- God. How does somebody like Joe Exotic even get in touch with the crown prince of Dubai? Like, how do they find each other? You know, I I really don't know how the Crown Prince of Dubai found him. There is a <laughs> definitely like an underground network of exotic animal people who are all kind of in touch with yeah. each other. Joe. When you were around Joe, he was fielding phone calls constantly, like wow. constantly. His his cell phone was ringing constantly. People asking, you spent oh, a week with him. This animal. Yeah. Yeah. So that's so to pick that story back up. Then I went down for this magazine and I spent a week living at Joe's zoo. He gave me a trailer to live in and I just followed him around like all day, every day for, for five full days. I would imagine he loved the attention, right? For sure. I mean, that, that's one of the amazing things is that he would make time for like any journalist, even though even if he felt like it was going to be critical, he would still do it because he said all attention is good attention. Uh-huh. He, he was a very strong believer in that. I wonder how he feels about all of this now. I mean, talk about attention. Nobody, there are few people in the world getting more attention now than Joe Exotic. I wonder if he's how aware of that he is from behind bars. And ha- have you had any contact with him? I haven't had any contact with him since the podcast. When people listen to the podcast, they'll hear our, our last episode, uh, my last conversation. That's right. They didn't want you really on. Really contentious. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. He was. He was really angry. He basically said, "Fuck you, Rob." I think were like some of the last words he ever spoke to me. But um, wow. But the the documentarians have been in touch with him, and of course, he's been fielding like interviews somehow through from from prison, sort of through email and stuff. And I think he is. The word I've gotten is he's he's over the moon. He's, he's really excited that he's so famous now. 
um, he thinks yeah. that this he's going to be able to parlay this into some kind of, you know, he thinks he's going to get a, a presidential pardon from Trump or, uh -huh. or something. You, all this pressure will get him out. Joe ran for president. He was inspired by Trump. He he did right. look at Trump and said, like, if he can do it, why can't I? And and was, you know, was a big like he, he really felt that Trump was going to be this great savior for the exotic animal world. Oh, he, you know, right. Well, because there was that act that was uh, in Congress, right? That never the big cats act that would have just yeah. destroyed all the the. It's still it up. It's still up for. It, it's still it, up. It, it is never. It has never come up for a vote. It's called the Big Cat Public Safety Act. It can still right. pass, and 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 I don't really see it splitting yet along partisan lines as much as you would think. I mean, Joe huh. always tried to make this argument that this is like you know the right to bear arms. Like, if yeah. I can uh, afford to feed an elephant, I should be allowed to own an elephant. Is what he would uh, always say. The truth is, and I wonder how you feel about this. The truth is, he is a pretty. The things that this guy has done are pretty despicable. Um, yeah. With our podcast, we tried to deal with Joe. You were very neutral. In the sense that I think we looked at him with clear eyes. We looked at the yeah. case with clear eyes and we said, here's what's interesting about Joe. Here's what's compelling about Joe. And here's what's despicable about Joe. Yes. Yeah. And I, th yeah. I think that the documentary, one of its one of its failings is, and and I give the the documentarians all the credit in the world for the amount of work they put into it and how mm. how well they they were able to shape this really messy narrative into this really really compelling entertaining package, but yeah. I think they left people with the the impression that Joe is this kind of underdog yeah. hero and and and, uh. and innocent of that crime, which is just just not the case. I mean, mm. you know, if, if you look at the the facts of the case and you look at the facts of Joe's life, like he did kind of turn into a monster. Now, I don't think that anyone is you know beyond redeeming and i and mm -hmm. i am not really a big supporter of you know retributive justice i hope he can be yeah. like restored and and brought back to public life as someone you know who who's sort of worked through all his issues but to say free joe exotic and like to lift him up as some kind of hero is just grotesque in my opinion that was a clear difference between um what you did and and the documentary and and it may be part of the documentary's entertainment appeal um, that they, you know, that, that they they've told this story in such a way that it it does make him out to be uh, almost heroic. Yeah, I, I and people, yeah, people want to pull from, and it's a better in a way, it's a better narrative because yeah. it's a tw it's the last twist is oh Joe's actually the good guy and Carol's actually the bad guy, and I've been hearing people they keep when they interviewing me they keep saying are you Team Joe or Team Carol, and I'm like. Huh. Guys, this is real life. This is not like the Hunger Games or something. Well, you know? again, like these are people. These are real people. They're complicated. Yeah. What were your impressions of Carol? Um, you know, you say they they created this narrative. Do you think what do you think about that narrative was was unfair in terms of the Carol uh, Joe dynamic? When you're in Carol's presence, you're dealing with someone who's really intelligent and really careful, you know, who's very mm. shrewd. And, yes. and, and that doesn't come across in the documentary. What comes across in the documentary is that she's really wacky and kind of spacey. And, and yes. there is a little bit of that to her. She has a tendency to laugh in inappropriate moments and kind of like look off in this way as if she's like looking she, to the heavens. And but yeah. it's not, that's not the deeper like truth of who you experience when you're in her oh. presence. You experience someone who left home when she was 15 and had to like struggle to stay alive. Was hardened a bit slept under parked cars and wow. you know was a, a rape survivor and and yeah. did god knows what to just stay alive and made this thing for herself and the the sense that you get is that she's uh yeah that, that she's she's very very shrewd and and 
a little bit disingenuous. I mean, you do get that sense at times that she's not telling you the truth, you know, uh, and I think that comes across. But what is the fundamental difference between Carol keeping all of these big cats uh, behind bars and, yeah, technically rescuing them, but also profiting from that rescue and yeah. and Joe doing what he does? Obviously, the breeding thing is a big thing. Yeah. So so I guess what, what disturbs me about that framing is that's Joe's framing. That is uh. that, like, that's the way Joe expresses it. And, and to a certain extent, it's true. If you go to her place and you go to his place, what are you seeing? You're seeing cats in cages and you're and they're charging you money. But that's a really small part of the puzzle because when you zoom out, what Carol's doing, she's not breeding these cats. She's not letting people pet them. So she's not like perpetuating this system where these cats are, are going to continue just breeding and breeding and breeding and being exploited, and as she would say, exploited and, and you know kept in cages in people's backyards and whatnot. Whereas Joe was breeding them like crazy. The other thing is that people keep saying, oh, she gets so rich off of it. I looked at her tax records. I think she gets like $60,000 a year from Big Cat Rescue, most of her money comes from her like giant empire of of like low rent real estate. Um, you know, she does these these all sorts of like I think they're called quit claim loans. And it's very complicated uh, sort of real estate dealings where she buys up people's underwater mortgages. Now, people want to look into that and how she gets her money from that. That, I think, is is more fair. But I don't think that this idea that like she's that she's, you know, uh, exploiting these cats to make money off of them is necessarily true. That's really interesting because I, that was one of the key components of how I felt about her and and the hypocritical nature of, of what she seems to be standing for and doing. Because um, uh, they, they make that pretty clear in the documentary that she, I think it was 1.5. I think she makes the number they gave was like $1.5 million a year. And they make it seem like she's making that from ticket sales at the park. That's interesting. Well, no, and they get, yeah, they do have, they do pull in millions of dollars a year in donations and, and you know, and ticket sales and things like that. And but that but all, it's you know, expensive to run. Yeah. Well, and it goes, it goes towards the charity. I mean, it's, you right. know, if you go on Charity Navigator, you can see they have a very high score, um, you know, so they've, they've been vetted to a certain degree by these independent services, which look through their financials and show huh. them like, they're 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 doing that. They're raising that money in an attempt to spread awareness and and pass this legislation and all that. And this guy Howard Baskin, who I also don't think the documentary gives a fair hearing to, you know, Carol's husband is a very smart guy. He went to Harvard Business School. Mm. You know, he has a business degree from Harvard. He uh, has a law degree. He is the person who kind of professionalized that operation. He's also the one who is mostly pursuing Joe behind the scenes. Oh. He was the one pursuing those lawsuits. He was the one sort of putting out a lot of the information online. And um, Joe is obsessed with Carol, you know, for a variety of reasons. But the the irony is it was actually a lot of it was Howard. I know there's a new Netflix uh, episode coming up in the trailer that there was a, a shot of him on a leash. She's leading him around on a leash and a little yeah. uh, on all fours. Uh, do you have any idea what that reference is? Just from my own curiosity. Howard and Carol were getting married on a beach and Howard, for some reason, got it into his head. It would be funny just before the wedding to take off his suit and put on a caveman outfit. And so he comes down the beach in a full caveman outfit with a club and like a fake wig and everything. And Carol starts laughing like, what are you doing? And she, I would. you know, 
she put up with it and, and you know uh-huh. I, I don't think she was overjoyed about it but they then they get married <laughs> and they do this series of photographs where Howard is like clubbing Carol over the head with the club and throwing her over his shoulder and like walking off That's funny. and then the last series of photographs is she puts him on a leash and he's like crouching by her side because so like, oh, oh, oh. he funny. was a lifelong bachelor I think he was I think he was in his 40s when they were finally married. Oh. And it was his first marriage. And so the joke was, you know, lifelong Matt Bachelor is finally oh. tamed. It doesn't seem like very Howard. It doesn't seem like a very Howard Baskin thing to do. You've seen the Netflix. So you've obviously seen the Netflix series. Yeah, I've watched it. Yeah, I'm wondering what what is your what are your thoughts on it? Well, I it's I, that's why it's it's really interesting talking to you about the who, someone who knows the story that well because I feel somewhat not cheated because I was very entertained by it, but it's somewhat shortchanged. You know, it's, it's such compelling material and it's and it's told in such an entertaining way that your curiosity is so piqued that you just want to know. You want the truth. You want to know. Of course, I want to know what happened now. I'm invested. <laughs> it's an interesting story because that kind of is is inevitable in some ways because the story itself, when you really boil it down, is not that interesting. What makes it interesting is... The, all of the other stuff. I describe it as fractal weirdness. You know, like it's, huh, it's like good. you can just zoom in and zoom in and zoom in and every single detail yes. gets stranger and stranger and stranger. It, yes. It's like it never stops. And, and it's back yeah. to all the yes. ancillary characters too. Like everything, every single part of this, everything in the background is is strange as well. And so there's something really exciting about that, but you have to figure out a way to tell a story. And I, so I think you know, again, I don't totally um, blame the the documentarians. I think it, it to some degree, it's just a structural challenge of trying to tell a story this messy. Well, that's interesting you say about the fractal weirdness because my general impression of it was the mounting curiosity about it never really paid off. And I think that's to your point. I think it's because, as you said, it's it's really just kind of a bo- not a boring story, but a, a simpler story. Um, it's an than- anticlimactic story. It, it's an- very anticlimactic. So after, so the last two episodes after um, Maldonado killed himself, Travis, I, uh, yeah. the characters that were revealed weren't as as shocking because you kind of at that point had met everybody and all that fractal weirdness had been exposed already, I guess. Um, and so then it's just like, oh, okay, yeah, he hired somebody to do this awful thing and now he's in prison. I mean, it's impossible to pay that kind of rich, complex setup off entirely it's funny isn't it? it's a kind of a twisted thing about the the true crime genre that like the fact that someone was not murdered is like disappointing to us <laughs> you know oh yeah maybe like, yeah. people are like like that like as viewers people are like oh what a Jeez. letdown no one was killed yeah. like that's really grotesque and, and that's really up, dark that's set up as art but this is part of my my larger you know sort of rant about all this is like no one seems to be perceiving all of this as real like they don't truly mm. understand that these are real people and and they'll say things about joe or about carol or about travis you know or or john finley and and i'm like these are real people that you're talking about these are not characters in a tv show you know like i spent time around these people i got to know travis and and you know like watching him you know kill himself or at least watching josh dial's reaction to it that was like really painful for me to watch and for a lot of other people who knew travis but to other people it's just shocking spectacle or something it's a really awful, shocking thing, but I can't imagine what that must have been like to see it and to have known, gotten to know this guy who seemed like just a damaged um, kid. I mean, he was quite young. What, what What were your impressions of him, of Travis? Um, yeah, you know, I I when I first got to know him, he was he was at the zoo. There was one day when we spent 
in Joe's house, it was Travis and a an adult film star named Rachel Starr. And the three of us sat in it like Joe's living room for like three hours, just playing with the cats and talking. And the sense I got then was just he was he was just kind of depressed and trapped. You know, he was there. Mm. He was smoking a lot of pot. And I asked him, you know, what do you want to do like with your life? You know, he's in his early 20s. I'm like, what do you you want to do? And he said, fuck it. Like he had no, he had that. And I said, fuck it. And he said, fuck it. Like I I like, like as if there was nothing, there was no future beyond the zoo. I later spent a bunch of time talking to his mom, you know, uh, Cheryl, who, who appears briefly. And this will maybe be interesting to interesting to people who, you know, want to see an inside glimpse of how these things are made. I later spent like six hours in an unheated motel room with her in Oklahoma, just drinking black coffee and talking about Travis and herself. And she was just crying and crying and crying and, you know, talking about her, you know, she'd had a really rough time in life, struggles with addiction and she'd spent time on the street. And then Travis had grown up in these, under these really rough circumstances. And all of that in, in the podcast ends up getting boiled down to like, you know, one or two sentences that she gets wow. to say just because there's so, we, we had to keep, yeah. we just had so many voices and there wasn't enough room for her. But, um, wow. you know, that, that to, to get that backstory, it makes a lot more sense how Travis ended up there. He just, you know, had a really rough upbringing and Joe offered yeah. him something. He offered him, yeah. you know, he offered and, him a place to live and guns and drugs and, you know, security and like, like an escape, some sort of escape. But then he became, Trapped, and I think that of of all of Joe's crimes, I think that might be the most sinister of them. That he entrapped this. I mean, he he held this kid hostage in 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 a sense. Um, yeah, and 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 to and to a greater degree than they even let on in the documentary. I I was told by his sister that he he wasn't allowed to communicate with his family. He had to message with her in a through wow. a messaging um, app within a, a video game because that was the only oh way he could talk to her, God. where Joe wouldn't know there was a time where Travis left and went to California and was like almost gone. And then he got pulled back in oh. and, and it's, it's really, really quite sad. And, oh, it's and heartbreaking. That, yeah. yeah. Having talked to Travis's mother for that long, six hours, how do you, how do you cull through that conversation? How do you boil that down to one or two sentences? What's that process like? You have to try to come up with a structure that has some sense of like narrative propulsion because if you slow things down too much, people will just tune out and and you know and and that's not really this isn't like the Cheryl Maldonado podcast. It's the Joe Exotic you know and and Carol story. So you have to find ways that you can fit that in and it and it feels honestly it feels bad. It feels bad to like talk to someone for so long and then they listen to the podcast and they say that's all you got out of that. But it, mm. that's just part of the experience and also part of the work of being a journalist is that you have to talk to people for long amounts of time to gain enough context so that when you do pull those two sentences, you're using them accurately and and honestly. You're not sort of pulling Mm -hmm. them out of context and using them misleadingly. It's like an iceberg, you know, like 90% of the work of being a journalist never goes above the surface. It's all just underneath in the framing. And that's where you start to get the sense. Like I have this, you know, huge knowledge, encyclopedic knowledge of the life of Joe Exotic and, yeah. and Carol Baskin. So I watch things like this documentary or, or articles about it. All I see are like the the ways that things have been misleadingly framed or something. I'm feeling some guilt about my own role in um, how I've dehumanized some of these figures and treated them as though they were characters. And I, I'm now thinking also about the way America has been doing that. And now I, I, I have misgivings about, you know, adding to that attention and, and 
How do you, how do you feel about the response that the public response to a person like this um, and this story? I wouldn't have told this story if I didn't feel there was some redeeming quality to it. I mean, first of all, you know, look, America's trapped in their houses. They need something to entertain them. You know, we're all, yeah. to some degree, we, we consider ourselves artists, but we're also in the business of entertainment, whether you're, you know, an actor, director, writer, journalist, a podcaster. Sure. If something is boring, people won't engage with it. I feel like with the podcast, we did a pretty good job of, of telling an entertaining story, a story that grips you and, and transports you and pulls you out of your life for a little while. I think that has value. Now, journalistically, I think as long as we're remembering at the end of the day that this is really about a, you know, captive tiger ownership in America and the way that, that thousands and thousands and thousands of big cats are being kept in cages and, and bred. And I think that's some value. And also, I think it's it, there's a value in plumbing the depths of someone like Joe's psychology is I feel like I was paying more attention, trying to pay more attention to who is Joe really and who who are who is Carol really and how does something like this happen? How, what leads people to make these decisions? And I think that there's a kind of deeper truth that comes out of that 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 hopefully enriches people and you know it makes you realize that surreal things happen every day in real life. Oh, for sure. There's there's far more than just I think salacious entertainment value in that. I think I think that's really um worthwhile. Yeah, I feel icky about it too. I feel icky about watching the documentary. Yeah. In the end of it, there's a, there's a feeling that you get where I'm like, you know, have we been gawking at mm. people's misery and and their and their poverty? You know, these lingering shots of of John Finley's missing teeth. You know, that that's something that we we really agonized over with the podcast. Is I want to make sure we're never making fun of someone for having yeah. grown up poor, you know, or having right. grown up without right. proper dental care or without proper health care or whatever it may be. There's actually one point in the podcast where I feel like I felt really bad because we described uh, we described John Finley as having a rat tail, a man with a rat tail and a mouthful of missing teeth. John wrote to me, he said, that's really mean, man. Like uh, those, my teeth, like he's, you know, he's like, I, I, my teeth started falling out before I ever met Joe, before I ever started doing meth. I didn't have good dental care when I was growing up. So things like that start to accrete, with, especially with this documentary, where you start to think, is part of the reason we're loving this so much because we are laughing at these people for being, and the word I keep seeing over and over again is white trash. You know, yeah, and it's like, yeah. that's, a really, uh. that's a really gross thing. If that's the reason yeah. people are enjoying this so much, I really hope they interrogate that a little bit and think harder about that impulse to, to laugh at people who have, you know, had really hard lives. Life could be a dream, sweetheart. Hey, everyone. I just wanted to pop in and uh, say hello from this beautiful resort right on the beach. <laughs> I'm actually here in the recording studio. Christian's it's Christian studio. Busted. I feel like I kind of am. I'm getting a little taste of the tropics because I've been enjoying Tropical Smoothie Cafe's new chia oatmeal pudding bowl. Ooh, what's that one like? Well, I love chia seeds. I know they're really good for digestion. I think there's protein in there. So I, I want to find ways to, to eat more of them. Um, and, but this one also combines coconut milk, which I love, nice, creamy, healthy without the, uh, the dairy, and steel-cut oats, which um, also healthy, topped with um, chobani. You get some more protein with a Greek yogurt, some fresh blueberries, sliced banana, granola, more chia seeds, and and honey. Ooh, so I a little try, bit of sweet. It's good. I, I'd like to try that one. I, I've had the acai bowl, which is very delicious. It's Ooh. it's acai base. I see. Um, fresh strawberries, blueberries, sliced banana, some coconut, granola, Ooh. chia seeds. So get on Tropic Time now 
as you savor a new tropic bowl from your local tropical smoothie cafe. If you're a fan of breathtaking, shocking, and sometimes sinister tales, then check out Audible's new collection of exclusive thrillers. It features captivating sound design, eerie soundscapes, and dynamic performances. So you feel like you're in the story. One title that's next on my list is called Trapdoor by J.P. Pomer. Uh, it's about five strangers. You know I love stories about strangers who get held hostage in a cellar that's filling with water. water. And the whole thing's being live streamed by a camera high above reach. Shorties, listen along with me. As an Audible member, you can get one title a month to keep from their entire catalog. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash long or text long to 500-500. That's audible.com slash long or text long to 500-500. Hello, hello again. Shaboom and up we'll meet again. You're a good-looking guy. Was did Joe, Joe seems like he's very drawn to... You know, male beauty. Did did he ever? Was he ever like flirty with you? And did it ever get go there? No, actually, never. And and that's that's an interesting thing. I don't know if I'm not his type. If I'm a little like too clean <laughs> cut for him or something. Right. But yeah. So so at that time, Joe was also really attracted to you know these really these really rough, very masculine. <laughs> blue collar yes. guys you know there's there's a <laughs> phrase in the gay world that they say rough trade you know like young uh, yeah. straight or straight acting guys who, who yes sex with older gay men you know for some sort of financial arrangement yeah and, like gay for pay they call it. yeah nowadays it's gay for pay exactly and and so yeah. um i don't know he never or he just knew that it would be a bad look to hit on a journalist or or maybe i'm just not you know i don't know I, I mean i'm not i'm no adonis <laughs> i i didn't mean to pick at an old wound no, but it never. Yeah, it does sort of bother me that now. <laughs> <laughs> like, what am I chop liver? What am yeah, I chop uh, Carol Baskin? No, but well, it is odd because he would he would sexually harass. I, and maybe this is part of it. He would sexually harass his employees ruthlessly. I mean, and right. I watched it happen. He would if he had an attractive young man on his staff, he would just hit on them and hit on them oh, and I, hit on them and yeah. make jokes and make you know off color remarks until they he basically wore them down. And there were many more guys than are in the documentary. Yeah. I mean, he had by my count at least four, if not five, husbands and a lot of other guys who kind of went in and out of there. He called them his puppies. Oh so the, you know, he would bring in these puppies for a day. He would play with them, you know, like younger guys, play with them for a night or two, and then let them go. Oh my! And God. and were they? Was he supplying them for the most part with drugs? Was that a in this rough trade situation? Yeah, drugs. That was definitely a part of it. I know that Joe. Uh, yeah, I mean, he definitely was supplying John Finley with meth, and he was also giving mm -hmm. him steroids, which really screwed John up. He he started having these roid rages. He was definitely giving Ugh. Travis a lot of a lot of weed, and occasionally giving him meth as well. I heard that one of his favorite things to do, jo Joe's, was to go rent a motel room. This place called the Habana Inn, which is a sort of like notorious gay cruising spot in in Oklahoma mm -hmm. City, and they would rent a motel room and just like for three or four days, just do meth and have orgies, like with strangers like that was his sort of way to unwind because life at the zoo was very stressful and so he was oh he was god. doing that fairly regularly oh my god i usually just take walks <laughs> <laughs> but you know to each his own um wow what do you think of i mean the the carol baskin elephant in the room do, what do you think of of her and her husband and and what are your thoughts on whether or not she did him in don lewis it's really, truly hard to say. We looked into it as deeply as we could. 
Um, yeah. You know, so so I went there with this stack of documents that Joe had given me to interrogate Carol. So before I ever met mm. Carol, Joe had filled my head with all this information about Carol. You know, for the most part, she had a, a fairly consistent explanation, you know, that she thinks Don was suffering from uh, like kind of Alzheimer's, a sort of dementia, uh -huh. and had probably had been planning to at some point go down to Costa Rica and had been flying his plane over the Gulf and crashed. That's that's her guess. But then th certain of her answers didn't make sense. Like I said, why does the signature on this power of attorney not match the signature on this restraining order? Yeah. And she said, oh, well, Don was basically illiterate. So he always signed his signature differently each time. You know, and I was huh. like, I don't think that's right. Yeah. The million dollar question is, did Carol do it? And the truth is we just don't know. And that's not because you know, partially, I'm not going to go out here and, and, and accuse someone of murder, you know, yeah. and, and who was never even named a suspect. But also, we really don't know. There, there is a very plausible chance that that Don just disappeared. You know, he just went away, whether it was to Costa Rica or more likely somewhere else, because they looked in Costa Rica and they couldn't find him. It's it's really an interesting mystery, and and hopefully we'll one day get to the bottom of it. You know, apparently Tampa, the Tampa police have been getting calls left and right with tips and people have been I heard, coming forward. So who knows? But I heard, I also heard none of them seemed all that credible, but m maybe there That's are right. a few. No, know. they said, yeah, they said they're getting six tips a day and, and so far none of them are credible, but, um, you know. I, Wouldn't I you love you, to read those? <laughs> I'd love to hear them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I couldn't believe that statistic um, that that more tigers are exist in captivity in America than, than do in the wild. Like just that alone is. Uh, yeah. It's, it's just a horrifying statistic. You know, it all comes down to power and, and they use yes. these animals. It's like, look, I have so much power over this powerful animal. I can walk with tigers. That's what Joe always say. I, I'm, I can walk with uh. tigers. Most people can't. And they. They perceive it as a sign of their toughness and their dominance. And and that sort of bleeds over into other people. You know, that's how they're able to secure all these like partners. Sure, yeah. And, and it, employees it, and people who will devote their lives to them because they think they're like larger than life. It makes you wonder how if they're and in what ways they are impotent in their own lives. You know, how where they're if they all have a similar damage, which is they feel uh, powerless or impotent in some ways, and, and, and they want to uh, usurp some sort of power from these animals yeah. and people. Yeah, I, I, I can't speak to Jeff Lowe because I, I didn't ask him enough about his childhood, but that is certainly true of Joe. I mean, that's something that we go into a good deal in the podcast and, and to an even greater extent in my New York Magazine stories is Joe's a kid who grew up you know, not just just gay and and being bullied in you know Texas yeah. and Wyoming and Kansas, as they describe in the documentary. He was also the victim of of rape when he was five years old. He was he was sexually abused, and the oh, the, the world was was really hard to Joe. You know, it was not an easy place. Yeah. It's not easy being Joe Schreibvogel growing up in Centennial, Wyoming, and so hmm. he turned to animals. He really did. He you know I heard stories. I interviewed his mom. I interviewed lots of people in his family and. They said um, that they that he would take in these raccoons and take in animals just that had been injured mm. on the side of the road. And he always huh. loved animals. And he discovered exotic animals and started taking in birds and, and he started huh. you know, raising poodles. He had a pet store like that. Animals were in his life his whole life. And maybe I identified in some way with, you know, these misfit uh, animals, these animals that were had, had been neglected in some way. I think that's true. Yeah, the, the really crass way that Joe would put it at the zoo is he said, we take all the retards. And mm. and what he meant was uh, that 
that we take the animals that the big zoos won't take because the big zoos want animals that look pristine because it depresses people to see an animal with, with crossed eyes or a missing limb or something like that. Yeah. And he would take them all. And, and it, you know, there was, when I first met Joe, that sort of appealed to me. I thought, wow, this is a guy uh, yeah, yeah. who has this, this underdog quality. He takes in employees that no one else will employ. You know, he takes in people right, fresh out of right. prison, people with addiction issues. That and, is admirable. And yet, the deeper you dig, you realize that was all a facade. He was, uh, yes, he was taking in those animals, but he was also breeding them. He was breeding tons yeah. of them for more lives and cages. Yeah. Yes, he was taking in employees, but he was also but he was taking advantage them. of them. Yes, yeah. he was paying them $150 a week. Right. You know, they were living in these filthy trailers. He would uh, lock them in at night so they couldn't leave the park. If they tried to leave, if they tried to quit, he would withhold their pay in advance so they couldn't leave. Wow. And then he would, I talked to multiple people who said he would call the cops on them, you know, wow. and, and try and really destroy their lives. He was a very vindictive, very, very controlling guy. And that's well, where the tigers, you know, so like you have this guy who loves animals, but then the tigers are kind of a different thing. It's a different thing to love your dog or your cat or even your your cockatoo from loving a tiger. Yeah. There's, there's a very specific yeah. psychology of someone who wants to have that big, dangerous kind of animal in your house. That's why it's, I think, really interesting to explore his own childhood, Joe's own childhood, and and to see him and his later behavior through that lens. You know, for a guy to grow up in a repressed culture and, and being made fun of and, and, and abused, I understand, in a way, the instinct to flaunt this lifestyle now. I'm going to be in your face. I'm going to be so, you know, I'm going to be outrageous about yeah. it yeah that and that's sense. that that that's another piece of the puzzle that was uh that was left out of the documentary and i was surprised by this is that before joe had all these other husbands he had a husband named brian rhine and brian was hmm. a guy that he'd met you know at a gay bar in dallas he was openly gay uh and they had apparently like a nice little life together they you know lived in this this little trailer that joe was uh had a pet store they raised poodles together and then huh. Brian uh, contracted HIV and essentially died in Joe's arms in a hospital parking wow. lot. And this is right Holy when Joe had first opened the zoo. He'd first opened, and it was supposed to be a sanctuary at that point, right? He, was he wasn't buying or breeding animals at that point. He was yeah. just taking them in. And so Brian dies in his arms and, and breaks his heart. And this is what pe person after person told me was that Joe changed after that. The, the Joe wow. tribe vocal that they had known who loved animals and was kind of sweet and vulnerable started to yeah. disappear and this other person joe exotic who huh. was obsessed with his ego and excessive power started oh, to emerge until by the end there was no joe schreibogel left it was all joe exotic that's a perfect example of something that i wish hadn't been left out of yeah the documentary and that's fascinating having grown up gay myself i'm keenly aware of the ways that we protect ourselves end up warping us right like the mm. way sort of hmm. you can build up a lot of scar tissue and you can think that that's armor you know and mm. and eventually that scar tissue builds up so much that you you're like restricted in all these ways that contort you and and mm. i really think that's what you're seeing when you look at joe exotic a lot of people yeah. look at him and they don't see a human being they see a character they, they think that guy is like a cartoon they can't believe yeah. it's real but what you're looking at is emotional scar tissue. You're seeing a guy who's really, really damaged and had to project this larger than life persona to protect himself. You know, that was yeah. his armor. It was, I mean, he had this great story he told me when he was in high school, the bullies were picking on him. And so he went around and sprinkled roofing nails all over the parking lot of his high school. And he popped a hundred cars tires. 
and they caught him for doing this and they made him work all summer to pay off the tires. And I said, Joe, you know, was it worth it? And he said, you know what? It was worth it because they never fucked with me again. I spent a lot of time trying to track that down. I went to Joe's high school. I spoke with his old uh, principal. It turns out that story is probably not true, like a lot of things Joe says, but it's really revealing that he would tell that story of what was essentially like a terrorist act and see himself as the hero, right? This is me. This is me. This this is me protecting myself and saying, fuck you to the world if you don't like me. And, And that's the way that he learned to deal with people. And that's was ultimately his downfall. It's it's so well said what you said about his scar to the emotional scar tissue and how he is a product of so much. He's so scarred. Um, the movie rights uh, that there, Kate McKinnon, I think, uh, bought. Did she buy the rights to the movie? Well, yeah. So we signed a deal with Universal UCP. They've signed it up for a six episode or or some limited run miniseries. It's very similar to what they did with uh, Dirty John. I don't know if you saw Dirty John. Oh, with, yeah. with Connie Britton and yep. and uh, Eric oh, Banner. Cool. So so it'll be similar to that. And, and they've cast Kate McKinnon as Carol Baskin. She signed on for that. So yeah, we're still looking around for someone to play Joe. And I know that people are stepping forward all the time. It's a it's a really um it's a really meaty role. You suggested Margot Robbie, I think. I did. <laughs> Why, I did, why, I where did. did that come from? That was just a that was just a moment of of inspiration, you know, because uh, the first everyone's first thought is, oh, David Spade or or something, or um, you know, I've I've heard some really good ones. I heard Sam Rockwell one one of the oh, I love Sam yeah. Rockwell. I thought that was a great suggestion. Sam would be great. Um, and because he, I has, love Michael Keaton. Yes, I I can see that totally. I can definitely see yeah, Michael yeah. Keaton. But I had a moment where I was watching I Tonya, and and it uh-huh. wasn't even just that the the tone of that film I think is similar to what the tone of the, the Joe Exotic miniseries yes, will be. that's true. But it was also, it was her eyes. Her eyes looked uh-huh. just like Joe's eyes. And it, it doesn't hurt yeah. that Joe had tattooed eyeliner on all the time, but there's something about the the spacing and the size of her eyes and the intensity of her eyes that just looks just yes. like Joe. And I, I thought it would be so perfect for her to do like a gender switched <laughs> Albert Knobs type of um, uh-huh. transformation, you know, where she's Oh, right, the Glenn Close, yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah, and she's uh, an incredible actor. Uh, yeah, that'd be cool to see. She, I'm, I'm so great. curious. I mean, yeah, she would be. Um, who who else do you? I mean, so you would endorse the Sam Rockwell casting? I would. I would love that. Yeah, I think he would do a great job of it. Um, you know, and I've heard other, you know, Matthew McConaughey and people like that. I don't know. I think that someone would would have to be able to capture all of Joe's different resonances and his, his the layers of his personality both I'm... his his vulnerability and his sort of menace you know and, it, and it's hard to get yes. both of those in one person yes um who can do all that and yeah and his weirdness sensitive. i mean he's just weirdness he, you've never seen a person like joe you know you've just never I seen know. someone well, behave like that well that's why my first thought was christopher guest i thought oh god i mean he, christopher guest did a version of him in uh i mean he's done versions of, of that character but but uh yeah. i i know the diabolical nature the sinister nature and that like we were talking about the damaged sensitive vulnerable side of him would be uh that, that's going to be challenging it, it gary really oldman is. gary oldman uh, yeah you, you also have to think it's someone who should be able to play joe throughout his life you know younger joe older joe right um and in current day you know just very haggard current day joe who who is really really suffering in 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 confinement you know in jail now in prison um yeah the the other people around him i heard you know that john finley wants channing tatum to play uh him which i thought was really good i thought channing tatum <laughs> that's would do a funny good job yeah that. 
Um, yes. <laughs> he's a little bit he's a little bit bigger than than John is, but um, it's a little flattering. Yeah. It's sort of like Joe <laughs> well, everyone, wanting Brad Pitt. I, I heard exactly. Joe Exotic wanted Brad Pitt to play him. Exactly. Yeah, I heard that too. Joe Joe wants Brad Pitt, which of course you know everyone wants Brad Pitt. <laughs> I like that you know during this crisis that we're all experiencing in in different ways, but in very similar ways. Um, I like that this has been something that everyone can kind of do, talk about and distract themselves with. It's yeah, kind of nice. I, I think that uh, I, I think that there's something going on with people who are who are caught in in. There's a really interesting thing going on with confinement. There's this idea that everyone's confined mm. in their homes and they're watching. On the yeah. one hand, these characters, these people who seem so utterly unconfined and unrestrained in their actions, you know, who are like doing things yeah. none of us would ever dream of doing and saying things right. we never dream of doing. That's very cathartic. But then there's also this theme of confinement running throughout the animals in right. cages. And then by then there's Joe in his cage. And I think that people actually, there's a certain amount of transference going on where people are identifying with Joe because ah, they're stuck huh, in their houses all day. And they're like, this is That's... horrible. Imagine if I were trapped in a jail in Grady County, Oklahoma with no windows you know, oh my god, that's interesting. And I wonder if that plays into the sense of like free the Tiger King is is that's interesting. People yeah. are identifying with him more than they otherwise would. Life could be a dream, sweetheart. Here's a weird writing tip for work. Don't. Uh, hear me out. You can generate your draft fast with Canva Docs. Canva Docs have an AI text generator built in called Magic Write, which is powered by OpenAI. You can generate any text you want for work, including meeting agendas, job descriptions, marketing plans, sales proposals, you name it. Just start with a prompt and you'll have a draft in seconds. And all you need to do is tweak your draft and... You're done. It's a serious time saver and the perfect way to beat the blank page. You can even reword sentences, summarize or expand text, and so much more. One thing that sometimes stumps me is writing very basic descriptions for the podcast. And sometimes the hardest part is coming up with the very first couple sentences. Canva's magic write is so helpful because once it generates a few thought starters, the rest comes much, much easier. Try Canva Docs with an AI text generator built in. Generate your draft fast with Canva Docs at canva.com, designed for work. Shipping can make or break a sale. I know long shipping times and unreliable shipping are some of the main things I watch out for when making a purchase. So as your business grows, use ShipStation to help optimize how you ship your orders so you can stay competitive while you scale up. ShipStation helps you manage orders, print labels, compare rates, optimize every shipment, and automate delivery notifications. They integrate everywhere you sell online, including Amazon, Walmart, Shopify, and more. And that's true whether you're shipping 100 packages a month or thousands. ShipStation can simplify and automate your shipping no matter how big your business grows. They also have industry-leading discounted rates from USPS, UPS, DHL, and Global Post. Optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Use promo code LONG today at ShipStation.com to sign up for your free 60-day trial. That's ShipStation.com, promo code LONG. Hello, hello again. Shaboom and up we'll meet again. What is your most commonly used emoji? Oh, my most commonly used emoji. Um... It looks like it looks like number one is the fire, the fire emoji. 
Oh, okay. Yeah. That's yeah. Cool. I don't know why. I don't see uh, I, that's maybe my most recent. I feel like I do a lot of uh a lot of the one with the blush cheeks and the big eyes that's sort of expressing uh <laughs> both embarrassment oh, and, and horror. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I like that one. I'm often in that state. Uh if you could be a professional athlete, what sport would you play? You know, it's funny, if I were a kid, I would have told you no question um, that I wanted to be a basketball player. I, I loved, uh, you know, I grew up in Chicago uh, the in the 90s, yeah. the Bulls. It was just a huge, you oh, know, and I, and I, you know, we we would meet, like I met John Paxton and, and you know, oh, Steve cool. Kerr and all those guys. And the, I You only loved, met the white players. Uh, yeah, exactly. I would have loved to have been like a short white guy shooting threes, you know? Um, yeah, yeah. That was my dream. I would just practice like threes all day in my in my backyard in my you know driveway. But I was never any good. Um, nowadays, I think I probably, I guess maybe a professional tennis player. I love, oh. I love watching tennis, and I love um, you know watching someone as elegant as as Federer and the way he's managed to yeah. to continue that career. Unless I can choose being like a professional rock climber or mountaineer, I don't know if you consider those sports, but yeah, um, I think so. You know, yeah, who doesn't want to be Alex Honnold? That's pretty, pretty. Epic. Oh my god, I love that movie, and I can't wait for the uh, Michael Jordan documentary. The um, I think it's a thirty for thirty on Michael Jordan. Yeah, if you could have one snack food for the rest of your life, what would it be? Ooh, I love a dried mango, like a like a Trader Joe's oh. unsweetened yeah. dried mango. Although you get, a, yep. they're very hit or miss. Like half, of, like half of every, like every package you get, every other one is garbage, and the other one is like <laughs> the most delicious, like like fruit roll up, sweet. Yeah, sour thing. I then, feel like that way about mangoes in general. And then my other one is, I, I'm a huge fan of Mexican bodega snacks, um, and they're these oh. ones that they have these peanuts that are like they're called like Japanese style japoneses like Japanese style peanuts which are have this like coating on them and then huh. they roll those in chili and like have like fake lime flavor on them and oh, they are the yeah. most delicious thing they probably really? have MSG in them too but they're so <laughs> so addictive those are the red ones I've seen those sold at uh they're like kind of red on the outside bright bright red yeah if you could live uh somewhere else where would it be besides British Columbia Ooh. Like Southern Thailand is just an amazing place to me because oh. you've got the ocean and you've got rock climbing right there, and cool. just the pace of I'd life and the food. There. Yeah, wow. I would. It's it's a really magical place because it's just the pace oh, of life cool. is so slow and it's so so beautiful. <sighs> oh, I'd love to go there. Um, besides the beach, what's your favorite movie of all time? Oh man, I mean, that's such a hard one to say. I know, I know. If I had to choose, or yeah. one, you know, a better one for like these quarantine times. What's one that is uh, like a comforting one, one that you found yourself wanting to watch just just to be comforted by? I definitely, the thing I've been turning to during the quarantine isn't a movie. It's it's the show Adventure Time. If you've ever seen that, the cartoon Adventure oh. Time. It's like a just about a boy and his dog who are best friends and go oh. on and have adventures. But it's as if you took all of the surreal elements from The Simpsons and just made a show out of that, like all the hallucinatory huh. moments where the screen is like was that on adult swim rob yes it was i think so oh, okay i watch it on hulu but it's it each episode is 11 minutes it's just this delicious little oh. like gummy worm of a show that you just can't stop watching and it's it's like deeply comforting yeah it's it's a it's a really um, really good quarantine I'll show okay i'll check that out um uh if you could have dinner with three people dead or alive whom you've never met who would who would they be oh wow you know, it's funny. My first, my first impulse. I spent a lot of time studying Buddhism, so of course, I think, I think of you know Sakyamuni, like Siddhartha Gautama, the the, the Buddha. But then he didn't uh -huh. actually eat dinner. He never ate 
after noon. So you <laughs> well, just, more for you. There'd you would be just be sitting you. there, yeah, watching me eat. <laughs> yeah, like judging like the, you, like the glutton that I am. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, maybe go to the dinner having eaten already, so you're not. <laughs> eating that's too much. right. And then you know it would probably be a, a couple of of my favorite writers, you know, who who are you know, I mean, someone someone like Oscar Wilde would be an incredible uh, oh. dinner date. You know, the problem with most writers yeah. is we're we're not very good conversationalists. We're actually kind of in, in, introspective and and quiet and awkward oh, and ego driven. So, but I, I think Oscar I, Wilde would be a a blast to talk to. Oh yeah, and then yeah, uh, he might monopolize the conversation though. That's true. <laughs> That's true, but that's fine. I'm I'm okay with that. I, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I, I, as long as I'm being entertained. Um, uh-huh. The third one. I'm trying to think who would add something wonderful to the to the experience of of having dinner together. Um, you know, an Oliver Sacks yeah, like, or someone um, like that who just has yeah. I like that so far. It's a it's a pretty uh, weird dinner so far. You've just got Oscar yeah. Wilde and the Buddha <laughs> <Yes>. sitting together. <laughs> yeah, I like the visual. Um, who, Rob, who's your favorite Muppet? Do you have a favorite Muppet? Oh, uh, I don't really. It's been so long since I watched the Muppet Show. I think as a kid, I yeah. loved Animal, but but you know who doesn't? Oh, yeah, uh, that's a great one. That's fitting I for this Animal. as well, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, if you could have uh, one superpower, what would it be? You know, it's always it's always been a toss up for me between between flight and and teleportation. I think those are like the the two mm-hmm. obvious ones. I I I always read comics as a kid like i was really into x-men comics and and obviously i think that like all at the end of the day you have to say that like what they call telekinesis you know like the Mm -hmm. what gene gray can do so moving objects with your mind and flying yeah is that's just hands down the best superpower i I, I still catch myself i don't know if you do this i catch myself kind of like when something's just out of reach just seeing if i could do it you know just like (laughs) just extending a little like a little bit of a you know yeah luke skywalker reaching yeah exactly like I well, I always wondered that about Yoda and and Luke. Like, would they do that with just like mundane things? Like, if a can of soda were just out of their reach, um, <laughs> and it wasn't a lightsaber that they needed, you know? Yeah, uh, you become so lazy so fast. I mean, I guess that's the yeah, problem with it. You would, that's you, funny. You're never that's funny. A lazy on. Jedi. <laughs> just yeah, just a kind of chubby, couch-bound Jedi. Yeah, <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> Um, if you could, you, I assume you're an animal lover that certainly the way you've talked about animals over the course of this conversation, um, did, did you grow up with animals and and was that one of the things that, that drew you to the story? Uh, when I was a kid, I actually did have a fair number of, now I'm thinking back and I, I I had reptiles. I had like a pet snake. I had a pet chameleon. Um, my, my, my mom would, they, they they would often die, um, you know, it's sort of <laughs> like in when I was away and then I would I would come back and have this very sad reunion. But my mom was very brass tacks about all of it. And she one time took one of my dead snakes and worked it into a wreath, like a Christmas wreath that she hung on the front what? door. Yeah, she, my mom's a she's an artist and she she has a very strange mind sometimes. And so I came oh home God. from school and my pet was hanging from our front door like as a decoration. Oh. And I said, my Mom, God. yeah, she, she, uh, she wow. also on another occasion, she, th- my sister left, we had a bunch of birds in these beautiful old, like teak, uh, bird cages by this window. Huh. And my sister was house sitting and she left all the windows open at night. And, you know, in Chicago, it gets very cold at night. And so the birds <sighs> froze to death. There are all these finches. And my sister went off to college. And then a couple of months later, she gets this care package from my mom. And she's so excited. You know, she's a freshman oh, in college. No. She op- Yeah, she opens up 12 dead finches in a box that my mom had mailed to her as a practical joke. Uh, 
Oh my <laughs> And you God. can imagine my sister's roommate being like, what is going on? Oh my <laughs> God. I know. God. Would you rather be called unattractive or unfunny? Ooh. I mean, I guess I'd rather be called this is this is gonna sound like the the, the right answer, but I'd rather be called unattractive. Because uh-huh. the that's something you know I'm keenly aware that that's that that your attractiveness is something that fades year by year and and right. you know that that it's if you pin your ego on your looks you're just gonna end up really a that's really true. tragic you're gonna be disappointed yeah you're gonna be <laughs> yeah. really sad and there are not many like Paul Newmans out there although um, I, I'm also not that funny so I don't know uh, <laughs> I guess it's yeah. a problem either way <laughs> which age if you could pick one age for the rest of your life what would you pick. Oh, that is such a that is such a tough one. I'm 35 right now, and um, this is a pretty good age to be honest. I feel kind of like yeah. I'm at the the height of my powers. There's there's also yeah. that thing going on where where you know gay guys seem to like stay in their 20s throughout their 30s, like physically because uh-huh. we don't have kids and we exercise obsessively, so we um <laughs> right. we like we don't like that's a good stereotype. Yeah, we don't we don't we don't we don't seem to age as quickly as straight guys. Yeah, uh, it, yeah, and it's and it's great. I mean, I'm, I I love being 35. I mean, I also love being you know 27, 22. Uh, you know, it's fun because you're you know you're you have a lot of energy. Out on your own. God, you're stupid. It's just when I look yeah. back on how dumb I was. <laughs> yeah, I know. In my early 20s and my I, teens, it's just it's painful. It's physically painful. To I me. I agree. Not about you, but yeah, yeah. about me. Um, you would if you'd known me. Which, you would. Okay, well, I'll take your word for it. Which golden girl do you most identify with? Dorothy, Blanche, Rose, or Sophia? Ooh, um, I'm probably half Rose, half Dorothy, if that makes any yeah. sense. And oh, I'm yeah. maybe more of a Dorothy who has played a Rose at various points in my life. Oh, wait a minute. I'm getting questions from my friends to ask you. Uh, somebody said, how many genital piercings does Joe have? <laughs> So, so Joe, Joe just has the one, the one Prince Albert. Okay. Uh, if people want to listen to the bonus episode we have with John Finley, you can hear John describing oh. getting that Prince Albert. John actually got his first. And you can describe the moment where I hear uh, John tells me that when he got his Prince Albert, the next morning when he woke up and got morning wood, he bled for a week. And, and, oh, and you can hear me. God. That's about my reaction. Yeah, you can hear me. <laughs> you can hear me oh cringe to 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 the core of my being. It, uh, oh my god! Yeah. Also, what a weird Pavlovian response then to have uh, when you get, you know, yeah, when you become excited. Uh, wow. Well, jo- well, John Conway. I hope that satisfies your curiosity, <laughs> uh, my friend John. And as my friend Diana want to know, what's the deal with Rick Kirkman? Who set the fire? How many times has Joe been married? Oh, she has a lot. How many times has Joe been married? Uh, well, let's just, who who do you think set the fire? Um, the one that, that killed Michael, how you originally discovered the story. Yeah. yeah. So, so that it's pretty clear at this point that, that Joe got someone to light that fire. I don't think he did mm-hmm. it himself. He was out of town. He was in, I believe, um, somewhere at a funeral at the time. Uh, but he, he, so there's two pieces of evidence that are pretty damning. One is that there's a taped recording where Jeff Lowe uh, is, remember in the documentary where Jeff's punching the filing cabinet? Yes. Um, he's saying, you know, you, you've, you're you embezzling money and this mm-hmm. and that. Mm-hmm. So, so in those recordings, there's a brief moment where he says, why don't you just burn it all down like you did the alligator thing? And uh. Joe doesn't say anything in response. He doesn't uh. protest. There's no indignation. He's just kind of like, yeah, 
you know, and so so that seems pretty damning. Ah, the other thing is in that yeah. documentary, there's that piece of footage, which is an incredible piece of footage where they apparently have Joe speaking to his lawyer on tape where the lawyer is is basically putting the idea in his head to burn down the alligator studio. You know, he's right. saying to him, so Joe, all of that footage is just in that one place. And Joe's like, uh-huh. Right. He's like, there's no other copies anywhere else. You see what I'm saying? Joe's like, uh-huh. And uh-huh. it, 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 that apparently is the, you know, the moment where it, it, it occurs to Joe. I, I mean, clicks. Yeah. It's, wow. that's a great piece of footage. It's a great find. Yeah. Um, and uh, other than, this is a good question, other than Saf, Saf, Saf rather, yeah. have, to, to your knowledge, have other staff members been injured? I know there have been minor injuries um, of various people. Nothing too serious. I think yeah. the person who was most seriously injured was Joe. There, there was a tiger named Chainsaw that apparently they're trying to get Chainsaw out of, I think it was out of the back of a truck and Chainsaw bit Joe's leg and broke a tooth off in his leg. This is what Joe, <gasps> this is how Joe tells it. And oh my so God. Joe would had this wound for a long time. People ask him how he got <sighs> it. He time. would say he had a, he had a chainsaw accident. That was, oh that, that my was God. it's clever, not a total lie. That was his clever yeah. way of, of, of not admitting wow. that the tiger had bit him. Yeah. Wow. In your opinion, does Joe, re- we touched on this earlier, does Joe really love the animals? That's a tough one to answer. I know that Joe yeah. did love the animals at a certain point, mm-hmm. right? I know that early mm-hmm. on, Joe really genuinely loved the animals. And love is a word that they use a lot, these exotic animal people. Yeah. One of the things I noticed is that they, they don't call it petting an animal. They call it loving on an animal. Oh, I'm, yeah. lo- I'm loving on this tiger. And and, huh. and that was the theme of, of so many huh. conversations Joe had was these animals love me and I love them back. But then... I think that in the later years, you have to imagine that as he got more and more and more of these animals, they started to feel like a burden. You know, he he had to mm. feed all of these tigers. It was always just mm-hmm. an overwhelming amount of chores and he always needed money. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if he genuinely, I think he may have lost sight of his love of animals yeah. there by the end because, you know, he was shooting them in the head just to make room in the cages for other. I don't oh. think you do that to an animal of you love. Of course. Of course. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Well, I've been loving on talking to you. <laughs> I've been loving on your podcast. Um, <laughs> it's called Joe Exotic, the Tiger King. Um, thank you so much, Rob. I, it's just so interesting talking to you about thank this. Thank you, Justin. That was fun. Yeah. just happened that happened that's your joe exotic yeah that's he's a bit let's like hear, let's hear your audition for joe exotic oh I, here's your chance oh he's my this one who wants to who didn't feed the tigers thanks for coming in next <laughs> that's not bad actually i mean he's a little bit like you know sometimes he'd get down like this mm-hmm. is that too you know, you know who i have in my you head it'd be funny to play this just popped in my head to play joe exotic uh-huh yeah, again and outside Leslie the jordan's and outside the box, like Margot Robbie was outside yeah. the box. Yes. Um, Amy Sedaris. Oh, my God. Isn't that brilliant? Oh, my God. I was drinking as you said that. I almost <laughs> did like a, a spit take. Yeah, yes. Wow. That's a great idea. Because Amy is just. You sounded like. Maybe, I think and maybe you that's sounded why. like her. That sounds like an Amy's, Amy's characters. You know, but because um, Amy has. Her characters have. What Joe Exotic has, which is going to be hard to capture for an actor, this this unhinged quality, 
and a and an innocence like a like a damaged child. Well, we talked about that mm-hmm. just now. Um, who do you who do you want to play Joe Exotic? Who would be your top pick if you were casting director? Your um, um, Deb Aquila. Uh, Shout out. You know, I think I think Sam would be great. Yeah, Sam can because he's. I mean, physically, he could be a match. He's played, although he doesn't look like him necessarily, but he could look like him. I think mm-hmm. enough to make it believable. And he's he's great with comedy and drama, and I think he'd find the levels um, in the character. Yeah, Sam played a similar sounding character in this Jared Hess movie that is who did so Napoleon Gentleman Dynamite. Broncos. Gentleman Broncos, thank you. Uh, and I remember, <laughs> I remember him sending me photos of that. Uh, you just Google Sam in Gentleman Broncos. It is so funny. He wore it like a Prince Valiant style. Yeah, that was, hair. was funny in that. I I know you like Christopher Guest for it, but I I think one he's too old. Hey, now. That's kind of what Rob alluded to. That he, yeah. he you have to be able to play him when he's younger. He made a very interesting point about the popularity of the Tiger King in our country, and he said it was because he in part because people can relate to Joe Exotic in that um, we're all quarantined now. Oh, and yeah. We're, and we feel somewhat confined in our lives. That was interesting. And he is in prison mm-hmm. being confined. And it's can a identify. show about these tigers who are being confined mm. in cages. And so that metaphor of confinement yeah. and the timing of this quarantine and, and the popularity of the show there's, there's, it's an interesting through it is. line. You I would never, have, I would never have considered that. Neither would I have. <laughs> he talked about the documentary, and I, I, did you get the sense from him that not that he had animosity towards the documentary, but that he considered his podcast a more, oh yeah, fair, neutral, yeah. accurate representation of the story I compared agree. to the documentary. That was interesting, and I, and he made some really salient points about that. I agree. That nice from, job slipping the word salient into dang. the conversation. Is it salient? I say salient, but I you know, tomato, salient. tomato. Is it really? I, I think you can say salient. I, I say salient. I hope so. Shorties. <laughs> <laughs> but he was saying that the documentary was not as fair maybe as it could have been in that to the documentarian's credit it made it more compelling yeah, exactly. that the two central figures of the um story were painted in a more even-handed way it helped me construct my argument that um the show was kind the Netflix series was kind of anticlimactic it kind of ha- it helped explain why also i got from him that joe exotic is more devious and kind of rotten than he's portrayed, mm. whereas Carol is not as uh, devious and neurotic, let's say, as she's portrayed in the Netflix series. He, yeah, that's he true. Was more, he seemed to be more um, impressed by her, and he thought that the way that she was portrayed was as this kind of aloof, spacey weirdo mm-hmm. with, the, with the, you know, tiger print clothing. Yeah. Or, in the in the She's more shrewd series. than that, right? And the fact that her husband, in actuality, the one who's who had been pursuing legal the legal stuff with Joe more than she had been, yes. But they don't explain that in the Netflix. No, they definitely She's don't. She's seen as like a weirdo yeah. space cadet who probably killed her husband in the Netflix series, and yeah, and he was unclear whether she did or not kill her husband. But but he's portrayed as more of um, he's kind of tagging along. He's the unwitting partner of right. this vengeful 
person. Exactly. But according to Rob, he is very bright. Uh-huh. Went Harvard, yeah. you know, business school. He's the one leading the charge. When it comes to our collective fascination with this story, the Tiger King, um, I think a lot of it may have to do. We talked a little bit about uh, our being able to identify with the confinement. It's similarly comforting as uh, a Jerry Springer episode or, or one of those shows that, like Dr. Phil, where they where they highlight people who are are really on the fringe and and, and have real like clear issues and and uh, it's almost like you know you can indulge in the sense that well. While my life may be bad, it's nowhere near as At bad. At least as. I'm not like them. Exactly. Exactly. Right. There's something kind of smug about watching pe- people, like, and he touched on this too. That right. there's some where condescending about that. Where they're seen like John with the missing teeth. They're, yeah. they're seen as like kind of white trash. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's 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 kind of fun to deride people like that and mock them, and and that's part of the appeal of it's, the show. It's come. It, it's it brings a level of comfort to to people, yeah. which I think is kind of disgusting. But I, I, I'm probably too. guilty of of that. That may have been an element of my own enjoyment of right. it that I Maybe. have to consider. And I'm not just saying this because he was our our guest, and I I really like him, Rob. Um, but he, I think his podcast does far more to humanize them. And I like that he was sensitive to that. I like that he was compassionate to to that, uh, rather than you know being somebody who holds them up to be mocked and derided. Uh, that he recognized their humanity and their struggle. And and when we talk about actors playing these characters, I think an important thing to, to consider is um, finding the humanity in, in them all and and not playing them from a from a like a mocking position looking right. down it would on be them. very easy for instance to play joe exotic as like just a hillbilly yeah you know the psychology of pe- people who own tigers and you guys talked about this a bit is really fascinating that and they use different words than they would use for other pets mm-hmm. you know like mm-hmm. like, yeah, I, like i, I, I love to love on him yeah yeah weird there's something about the the power and the ferocity of these creatures yeah that uh and the way that that people are drawn to them and, and also like you see even on dating profiles you know that you see a lot of people posing with these big game animals yes. like, there's something about like this dominance i i've never felt the need to uh, have more power or uh-huh. dominance in my own life. That sounds like I'm so powerful and dominant, but I'm not. You've just accepted your... I've accepted limited, what yeah. I have. So <laughs> yes, I've never yeah. Um, yeah. Had, had a real... I've had zero desire to, to <laughs> get near a tiger or any sort of big cat. I, I don't really have a strong desire to get near most cats. Little cats. <laughs> well, there's a bobcat in her I, I don't mind cats, actually. In fact... Wow, I think I might just... prefer cats to dogs. Really? Yeah. Like Maggie, your Christian's girlfriend, sent us a photo of a in our neighborhood. There's like a one of those neighborhood groups where they, you know, you can what's it called? Uh, a neighborhood watch. Yeah, on the internet on Facebook, and um, somebody had sent in our neighborhood. There's a little bobcat roaming around. It's cute. What did you think of that? Like, would you? Well, I wouldn't want, want a bobcat because they're, <laughs> they're dangerous. But my my friend had a had a cat that I liked, Mr. Kitty. Uh, and I like that. I like cats that are, you know what it is? It's cats that are more like dogs, like cats that are friendly. Yeah, that come up think, to you. And... I think cats get a bad rap. I think a lot of cats, people assume that cats are like all kind of like uh, out, out for their own yeah. cause and they like don't get off like, me. Like, but I, I, when you encounter one that's friendly, they're mm-hmm. great because they're really cute and they're fun to pet. 
That's true. I also read so much Garfield as a kid that I think I had that image in my head, that kind of uh, Being most personality. Lazy and <laughs> yeah, like, like lasagna. And like <laughs> shitty to Odie. Like Garfield Odie was such was, a bitch. Odie was sweet. Yeah. Garfield was a dick. To, he was a, um, and to Normal. He was really mean to Normal. I like Normal. But Normal's cute. I right? identify. Normal's I, a cute cat. Right. And Normal got more attention because he was cute and stuff. And yeah. I always felt a little bad for Garfield because he was like the you know, heavy, sad, heavy, sad. Not if, I don't want to offend Garfield. If you get a friendly cat, it's hard to beat a friendly cat, in my opinion. Friendly dogs, though, or I mean, what sure. about a friendly dog? Well, because friendly dogs are are like too much for me sometimes. You know, yes, like, it's too much yeah. work, and they need too and, much. And, and they're really but aggressively friendly. Cat, friendly. They're, exactly, they're in your face. Exactly. Whereas a friendly cat is um, much easier to maintain some sort of respectful distance. Between human oh, see, and this, pet. This, we're different in this way. I would much rather a friendly dog because I like rolling around with dogs and like. <laughs> <laughs> Here's a letter. Okay. This is from Carrie. Subject is staying positive during times of uncertainty. Hi, Justin and Christian. Greetings from Minneapolis, Minnesota. My oh. name is Carrie. <laughs> I, I love that accent. I know. Please don't butcher it. I won't. I'm sorry. Okay. My name is Carrie, and I abs- I also love Minneapolis. Uh, I shot a movie there called – it's now called Best Man Down with my friend Addison it was, and, and Tyler Labine. It was so fucking fun. I think that accent is my favorite accent. Yeah. Single-handedly. Oh, yeah. Wow. Single-handedly. My favorite accent. Really? I love that accent. Oh, better than like Scottish or yes. Irish. Oh, whoa. Jeez. I love Scottish. Uh, really? Yep. Wow. Liverpool? Uh, I like that because the Beatles, but I think if I didn't know who the Beatles were, I don't think I'd love a Liverpoolian accent. Mm, maybe not, but the Beatles do exist. Uh, but you got to see Yesterday, by the way. Speaking of a world where the Beatles don't exist. Okay. What a great movie. Good quarantine recommendation. It's on HBO Now, not an ad. Is it HBO Now or HBO Go? Who cares? Go. Okay. Go with the letter or go? No, go, go. go, go and go with the letter. <laughs> okay. okay. All right. Greetings from Minneapolis. My name is Carrie, and I absolutely love your podcast. Thank you, Carrie. Thank you. And look forward to it every week. As much as I enjoy the interview portion, the intro and recap at the end with both of you is always a highlight. Ah, our mother agrees. <laughs> I'm extremely, extremely grateful for the fact that I have a job where I'm able to work from home for the time being. However, with our temporary new normal, I've tried to be intentional about making sure I'm staying positive throughout the day like Kevin Bacon. Having upbeat playlists at the ready is a great way to help. Oh, yeah. it's a good idea. Of course, listening to podcasts are always a go-to, as I love to keep my brain active and focused on things other than the news at times. Confession. I've gone back and re-listened to a few of my favorite Life is Short episodes once or twice as well. Wow. That is... What a compliment. Especially the very end of Jennifer Goodwin's episode, where Justin is talking to the kid about Harry Potter. It's truly the best. That kid was funny. You know, I I have other funny recordings of him... uh, on a plane. I sat next to this kid on a plane. He was so entertaining. Uh, another way has been being more intentional with connecting with loved ones. Yes, same. I will send out morning check-in texts to see how everyone is doing. And it's been a great way and simple way to support each other. I'll admit I do feel guilty that this is probably something I should have been doing long ago before everything else happened, but I'll give myself a pass on that one. I totally agree, Carrie. I thought the same thing. My friends and I also planned a video conference call where one of us organized a trivia game that we played, which I would highly recommend. We did that. Thank you for all of the awesome work your team puts into the podcast, sending lots of positive vibes your way that everyone is staying safe and healthy during this time. Thank you so much, Carrie. Best, Carrie. That was really nice. Thank you. Um, and I'm, uh, I, I, I agree with her on all these things. That's a very Minnesota email. 
It is just you know, positive and positive, yeah. um, thoughtful. You know, I, I, see, I found that way. I was struck by how positive and and friendly the people of Minnesota were when I when I Me shot too. there because I had never been. I and I was coming straight from another positive place from Austin, um, and I was coming from being sicker than I think to this day I'd ever been. Uh, I, I was scared. I was really scary, actually, really high fever and. God, if I got that now, I would just, um, but I was so sick and I, I went right to such a great place, Minneapolis. Can't recommend going there enough. What does the sickness have to do with Minnesota? Uh, you know, when you're, you're relieved to be to healthy again, grateful. So maybe that's part of the reason you enjoyed it so much. Yes, I think so. Maybe, you know, when you're sick like that, you, it, you, it really like highlights all of the things that you take for granted. Right. Well, being able to breathe, being, being able exactly to that, smell. That is somewhat analogous, I would say, to uh, being in quarantine, making yes. you more appreciative of what, uh, how good you have it when in life, totally. you know, and totally. we take things for granted. And I think mm -hmm. what Carrie is saying about being mindful of that and checking in with people. And mm -hmm. I think there's something that's really good advice because during this time, it is very easy, I think, to become complacent and fall into this new reality of like being inside all the time. Mm -hmm. But I think it's good and healthy to remind yourself uh, consistently that this isn't normal and you should do things to mm -hmm. kind of check in with people and check in with your surroundings as much as you can and I not, you know, sit around in your pajamas all day. I saw that. I think on a great source of positivity and um, affirmative things. I saw that on Kristen Bell's Instagram. I think it was about it had to do with uh, that this isn't it's it, life isn't life is just changed. It doesn't mean it's not still beautiful and there's so much beauty in it. Uh, I hate saying that while people, I know people are suffering right now, but if you are fortunate enough to stay inside or e even if you're working with limitations, uh, it is such a good reminder to um, appreciate, you know, things that maybe you took for granted. Sure. Uh, so uh, we've been doing that and to the point where uh, I've been watching birds lately. There, we, we live in an area, we're so lucky to be surrounded by so many beautiful birds and I've been watching them more it's nice. It's nice. Just look out the window even last night when we saw that moon beautiful moon last night whereas like in the past i would have like glanced at it and like oh yeah and now it's like i want to sit God, i just it. need to get off my phone a little bit more. me too me you too both have to get off your phone <laughs> that's that's my goal uh, so you. thanks for writing in carrie and thank yeah. you thanks for listening to this on your phone yes exactly <laughs> uh and if you guys want to write in we love hearing from you our email address is life is short at wondery.com and uh, we really are entertained and moved mm -hmm. by your letters. And yeah. it's really nice to get them. And, and we love doing it. It's also yeah, and, nice and if to you do also, this. if you want to ask us anything, yes, feel free. And uh, in the meantime, be safe and stay happy and uh, grateful. Life could be a dream. Life could be a dream. Life is Short is hosted by me, Justin Long. It's produced by Christian Long and Megan Monaco. Senior producer is Michelle Mish Lands. Audio engineer is Sergio Enriquez. With executive producers Marshall Louis and Hernan Lopez. For who? Wondery, who also did The Tiger King, the Joe Exotic podcast. Not what it's called. Have a good week. <laughs> do, 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 What would you do with a brain if you had one? I'd wild away the hours. <laughs> mm -hmm. Why, if I had a brain, I could...
I could while away the hours, confirm and rinse the flower vines, consult and rinse the rain. You confirm with the flowers? <laughs> That's consult what you with do. the rain? What does that mean? Is that a... Um... By the way, according to him, what he would do with a brain is so much dumber than what he would do without a brain. Which is like, figure out a way to get off the post and interact with this nice girl he meets. And... Wait, what are the things you'd while away the hours? Confer with the flowers. Why do you need a brain to do that? Animals can do that. Brain. Well, what would you do with a brain if you had one? Good question. Why, if I had a brain, I could, I could while away the hours. I'd while away the hours, okay? Don't need a brain to do that. Confirming with the flowers. Confirming with the flowers, okay? Well, maybe he means he'd get into botany? No. <laughs> Consulting with the rain. Consulting with the rain. He'd become okay. a meteorologist. Maybe he just doesn't know how to say that. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Life is Short ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today, or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus and Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com slash survey. Alex Ryder is back. Hello, Alex. You have a lot of work to do. To face his greatest challenge yet. We have an active threat. They can wipe out an entire city. People are going to die. Now he's running out of time. We have three days to find and destroy. He doesn't know who he can trust. You're not your enemies. You never have been. Everything I've been told has been lies. And our future is in his hands. The truth can be complicated. On April 5th... This weapon is capable of inflicting 100,000 deaths in a heartbeat. The danger is everywhere. Scorpio are no longer hiding in the shadows. The battle threatens everyone. It's personal. It's revenge. It's kill or be killed. That's when you find out what you're really capable of. And his choice could change everything. I'm sick of being manipulated to do what everyone else wants. Tell him the truth, all of it. The world isn't black and white. All we really have are the people we trust. Alex Ryder, season three, streaming free April 5th. Stream seasons one and two free now.